The scripture reading from today is from the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. So Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, that as we speak about it now, you might speak to each one of us. Take your word and guide my words, Lord, but mostly give us receptive hearts to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is um, hard to see, but this is the locker of Chris Long in the Philadelphia Eagles locker room. And what you see on the top of his locker is actually an altar to Nick Foles. Nick Foles is the backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he set up an altar to him. Seems kind of interesting. Um, it's got a you know, picture of Nick there and the Rams and his book and the Eagles and some of these little candles. And that may seem bad, but it's interesting. Here's what they wrote about it. Uh, Long said, Foles has seen the shrine. Uh, I made him see it. It's for him. I just don't think he likes the attention. But it's not about attention. It's about energy. Give him some good energy. It's going to work. He always shows up big for us. He's been there to bail us out before when we've we've had injuries before, and this weekend's no different, Long said in explaining the shrine. I think he's going to show up big. And so it's actually a hopeful, positive way of him actually trying to, in a sense, honor his teammate who's a backup quarterback. And if you don't know Nick Foles from last year, what happened was, um, you know, they had MVP candidate, Carson Wentz. The Eagles were great. He goes down at the end of the season. Everyone thinks the Eagles are toast. Noel Foles, you know, steps up and did unbelievable through the playoffs. And people may remember he did pretty well in the Super Bowl last year. <laughs> if you don't know who he is, I don't know what to tell you. Just <laughs> trust me on that one. He beat the Patriots, and it was grievous. Uh, and then this year, again, the quarterback went down. He was coming up, and Chris Long, sort of remembering that thing, said it here. Now, why did he make an altar to it? Is the idea that Nick Foles, at every point, is a really outspoken Christian. When he talks about, and people are kind of amazed at him. He's, he's, he's one of the more respected figures they take anywhere in the Eagles locker room because there he's a backup quarterback, and the kind of humility he carries that with, the kind of way he steps into the pressure, the impact he you know, has on the other players, and the perpetual glory to God he gets for everything he does. So Chris Law kind of comes along and kind of does the best way he can figure out, I think, how to honor that. You know, that, that power which he says it's about God. Well, okay, Nick, we'll, uh, we'll do this for you. Maybe, maybe you'll get power from this. But as I look at it and as I read this, what I thought to myself is, what an impact Nick Foles is having in that locker room. You know, he's making guys like Chris Long. They know exactly why, you know, his actions and his behavior is is uh, attracting the team, drawing almost like notice. He's, you know, he's a remarkable player. He cares about them. He serves them. And he's perpetually, uh, and they're amazed by what he's able to accomplish, and they hear his perpetual, how it's, un, it's inseparable from his faith. 
and his love of God and the power he receives from him to accomplish that. And when I think about what God wants each one of us to do in the world, it's very much like that, isn't it? We step into our world where a bunch of people don't know anything about it. I mean, I don't, I don't get mad that Chris Long did this. What, is, what does he know, you know? He's just trying to respond to something he's experienced and seen in the only way he knows how. But I want to think about what Nick Foles did is so much what I think each one of us needs to be in this world. You know, the kind of people who um, our very faith and the people we are draws others towards us. We're, t- we're in the last week of our talk about our vision statement and mission statement. And again, our vision statement is who we want to be. You know, what do we aspire to be? A mission statement is what do we aspire to be doing? You know, we are a vision statement. We are a vibrant community. We want to be people who are changed by Jesus, being changed, continuous, empowered by the Holy Spirit, boldly following God into the world. And we want to, what do we want to be doing? We want to be actively engaging with God and his word. We want to be fostering a caring community of disciples of Jesus. We want to bring God's healing to our hurting world. And we want to be inviting our neighbors to follow Jesus with us. So we want to talk about that last one today. Inviting our neighbors to follow Jesus with us. The text we're going to look at to do that is Colossians 4, 2-6, which Jen just read. And there, when he talks about our role in the world... This text kind of divides it in two different sections. Says there's two powerful ways in which you are involved in the proclamation of the gospel into the world, the spread of the gospel. He says, in, in one part he says, through your prayer actually is a powerfully important part of way in which the gospel goes forth. And secondly, through your, you yourself, are, your life is a proclamation. So through prayer and proclamation is our involvement in the spread of the gospel in the world. So firstly, through prayer. He begins the text by saying, devote yourselves to prayer. It doesn't really say devote there, but the idea is of persevering in prayer, of constancy of prayer. Prayer is something that you do all the time. It's part of your life. It's the way you live in the world. And that's the way it's actually talked about in the scriptures, the way Paul talks about it. Actually, here we are in chapter 4. He begins the whole letter of the Colossians talking about prayer in chapter 1 a couple times. He said here, for this reason... Since the day we heard about you, meaning heard about their faith, he said, we have not stopped praying for you. Constant prayer. And what are they praying? They're asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Since the moment we heard that faith has come alive in Colossians, we are praying and praying for you, that you would understand the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. And and the constancy of prayer of it. Notice he says, we have not stopped praying for you. It's like, when is that exactly? And to the Thessalonians, he said, be joyful always, pray continually. Some translations, pray unceasing. Give thanks to God in all circumstances. And there's a great line here. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Some say, what is God's will for my life? That's God's will for your life. Joyful always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. It's an amazing statement, but that prayer without ceasing, that prayer is just a part of your life. Prayer is not something you necessarily do when you go into this little box with these little people over there, although that's good, that's important to pray in those contexts as well. But pray is a part of our life. We pray as we breathe. You know, we believe God is perpetually accessible to us and with us. And prayer is just a part of who we are. 
And he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Have that sense of that, this constancy of prayer, this persevering in prayer. And then he describes it with these two words, being watchful and thankful. And thankful, again, was very much similar to what it said there. Give thanks in all circumstances. And thankfulness, in some ways, is like, I think, almost like the, 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 um, what do you call it, the platform upon which all prayer stands. You know, uh, it's the, you know, thankful is this way of being, of, of recognizing reality. It's not like you something you have to do. It's to realize that I actually have no right to be standing here the way I am right now. No, I mean, everything I have is a gift from God. Every bit of health I have, every breath is a gift from God at every moment. The fact that I'm forgiven, that I could even pray. There are so many things at every moment upon which I am so grateful for. And you approach God in that way. And prayer begins with that platform, being amazed. It's funny, when people go through, uh, you know, even uh, rehab stuff, one of the first things they tell them to do is make thankful lists. Because you know, as soon as you start thinking about all the things you're thankful for, and there are millions, and the list goes on and on and on and on, your entire perspective on your life has just been transformed. You see everything different. You think differently. So we're, we're, we're perpetually prayerful. We're perpetually thankful. And this word watchful, that's an interesting word. What this word, if you, if you track this word throughout the New Testament, it's, it's pretty common, and it's, it's usually in the idea of the end times. The idea of watching for his coming. Be watchful. You know, you don't know what a thief comes like a thief in the night. Be watchful. You know, he says to the virgins, you know, in the parable of the virgins of the bridegroom, keep ready, keep watching. It gets translated, stay awake. Remember what uh, Jesus had said to his disciples when he went off to pray just, just before the cross, arrested on the cross, he said he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He said, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked, Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And there's this urgency to prayer that watchfulness has, and an alertness, a readiness. And that's a, there's a, you know, oftentimes we don't think about prayer in that way, but this sense of you are, you are keeping watch, you are urgent, you're aware of what's going on. And this praying with this thankfulness and this constancy and this watchfulness. And then he, then he prays a specific way he wants them to pray. And he says, I want you to pray for us, being Paul. Which is interesting. He starts the letter praying for them. And now he's saying, exhorting them now, you pray for us. And he goes, and you pray that God may open a door for our message. That we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. And this idea of open doors is interesting. It's a phrase which gets used again and again in the New Testament. Um, for instance, the book of Acts, it said, um, on arriving there, they gathered the church together. This is at the, when, at the that, uh, first, what do you call it, conference in Acts 15. But he said, they report all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's how we described it. Remember how surprised they were the Gentiles started coming to faith? You know, Peter gets a vision and he's reporting on it. He gets a vision. Uh, he gets told to go to Cornelius. He comes there. They say the gospel message, the Holy Spirit falls, and all these people begin to come to Jesus, right? And he goes, wow, I, didn't, I was not expecting that. I didn't know this was going to happen. God opened this door, and we're following that leading, right? Here he says, um, uh, you know, I'm going to stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. 
which is interesting. Oftentimes we don't think of opposition as an open door. He says actually there's loads of opposition in Ephesus, but there is an open door for effective work. So I'm staying here and watching God doing things. And he said to Troas, now I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found, I found, wow, the Lord had opened a door for me. And I was able to preach there. Now what does that imply? It implies a number of things. Firstly, that uh, Paul has no idea where the door is going to be open and where it's going to be closed, does he? You know, he, he just does his job. He proclaims, he preaches, he knows his calling to spread. Now, where there's going to be receptivity or where there isn't, he doesn't know. And I'm sure he's not thinking, well, I, I, I preached really cleverly and persuasively in Troas, not so much over there that it didn't work. No, I did the same message. And the idea that God's actually sovereignly also opening and closing these doors. That this is a work of God, that God is somehow leading this. That he really is just a vessel, a faithful vessel to it. But there is one other big piece that he's talking about here that plays a role in whether the door opens or closes, right? What's the, what's the big piece here? Pray. He seems to think that actually your prayers will have an impact as to whether that door opens or closes. Now that rocks my brain. Why did God use that? Why the people over there praying would have some sovereign effect on whether God opens that door? Guys, that is a sermon for another time. <laughs> you know, why does God use prayer? That is a, it's a huge one. You know, and it should be a contemplation of all of our hearts. You know, how does he do that? For now, we'll say that he does use it. That God uses prayer, and our prayers are powerful and effective. Now, why he does that, how he does that, how he's decided to work out his whole economy like that, longer sermon, not this one. But you need to accept that your prayers make a difference. And, uh, and he actually says in some credible way, I want you praying that doors will open. I want you praying that I can be faithful is that this mystery is revealed. The mystery in Scripture, by the way, is always talking about something that was hidden before that's being revealed. And so this idea that the, the gospel in itself is something that's now being revealed and why it gets revealed <coughs> into this group here and not there, when, how, is very difficult for us to grasp. But he's faithful. And praying that I, I might do that clearly and faithfully. So we, are, we play this big role in the proclamation of the gospel and praying for this, for doors to open, for clarity of the scripture, for um, that mystery to spread and to be revealed. The work of our prayers in the spreading of the gospel. But then there's the... Um, oh, I missed that. But uh, in the second piece, he says, we also, not through our prayer, but actually it's not simply through our prayers, but through our lives. Our, we proclaim the gospel in our lives. And he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. This idea in the way you act, by the way, is uh, the Greeks pulling up a a Hebrew idea of to walk. You know, walking in the world. That's the great Hebrew metaphor for how we live. You know, we, we live in this world by walking through it. And it's basically saying now, you walk with wisdom in the world. Here's with outsiders, meaning among people who don't believe in Jesus, basically what he's saying. You walk with wisdom. Have you guys ever met anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus? Okay, a few folks. All right, so you you guys will know what he's talking about here. You know, the few people, and he says, how do I live in that world? He says right here, with wisdom. You live in that world with wisdom, and he says, make the most of every opportunity. And this is actually a, um, a marketplace term he's using here. 
And it actually means like when you redeem something. And he's saying the thing you're actually buying in the marketplace is time. <laughs> you know, you're, you're buying that time. And he gives this intensive to it also. Like you are, you are um, snapping up, you are redeeming every bit of time there is. Whatever time there is, you are buying and you are snapping it up like this. That's kind of, it's an amazing picture. You know, you, when you live in the world, you walk in wisdom and you, you whereas every minute is out there, you are trying to snap that thing up and use it. You are making the most of every opportunity he gives you. Really relates to that idea of watchfulness, doesn't it? This watchfulness, this readiness, this thankfulness, this constancy of prayer for the door to open up and for these opportunities to be there. It's an amazing idea. So we are to be people who are snapping up the opportunities, redeeming the time. And then he makes these amazing phrases. He goes, and it's, being, it's obviously being done with our mouths and with our voices, our words. He says, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. I've always misunderstood this verse, by the way. I realize now I've studied it more this week, and I realized, gosh, I've been wrong about this verse for a long time. It's always terrible. You always feel really bad. Because I I think I always understood this more like, be gracious in your speech. Like, be kind and gracious, kind of. You know, let it be. And it's not that you're, you're to be ungracious. That's not what the verse is saying. But grace is a far bigger word than just the tone of your language. Right? It's... Grace is enormous in Scripture, right? The grace is a word that comes down again and again, uh, just to give you some things, but it, it, it's everywhere. Remember, Steve, how was Stephen described? He was a man full of God's grace and power. He's not full of this just being really nice. That's not, I mean, that's like just ridiculous to even think that that could possibly be what grace means there, being full of grace. Being full of grace and power, let him preach among all these people who eventually stoned him. And to be faithful till, you know, till he was martyred and looked up into the heavens and saw him and saw Jesus. That was full of grace and power. It says it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves is a gift of God. It is, the, it is the grace of God which has redeemed you, that has saved you. He says to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. And then he begins to talk about some of the gifts. So even the apportionment of a gift is a grace of God on you. That makes sense. So you start to with grace is this huge thing, and I'm still wrapping my mind around it. I like what one commentator says is grace is essentially the powerful act of God among his people. So you are to be full. When you're, you know, when you're talking to people, you are full of the powerful act of God among his people. You are full of the idea that God has redeemed us, that God has changed us. You know, there's this ever-present thing of what God has done and what God is doing. And that's what actually is the fuel that you're full of as you're talking to someone. Now, I think, I don't know about you, but I, can, I know many times when I was not full of grace as I spoke. I was more fearful. I was more apologetic. I was, I don't know, I, kinda, I don't really know what I'm saying. I don't know, I'm trying to explain this thing. I, you know, no, there's an idea that you are present with what God, who God is, God's very presence there. You're, you're thankful, you are amazed, you are full of grace. You know, there's that you know, power of the Holy Spirit right with you when you're full of grace. And you need that, by the way, in that role. When you are snapping up all those different opportunities, when you're being wise, you need to be full of grace in every one of those moments. 
And he says it's full of grace. And then he also has this phrase, seasoned with salt. So you might know how to answer everyone. Which is a really interesting idea. The idea of seasoning is, uh, in, in this context, um, it's talking about flavoring. You know, this idea that you're almost flavoring how you speak for your situation. And there, again, there's that, that, there's that idea of wisdom and discernment. Different places at different times call for different speech with different people. There is no cookie-cutter way to live out in the world. There's no cookie-cutter way to make the most of every opportunity. It's fully incarnated to that individual you're speaking to. And there's a great deal of mystery with that as well. is because you don't know what's going on in somebody's life. You know, somebody may argue with you about this, but that's not really what's going on. I mean, I had a guy I've talked to a number of times, and um, it was actually interesting. I realized I had talked to, you know, he was, a, I was a doing PT. You know, it's actually amazing. You get like 45 minutes one-on-one with somebody, you know, once or twice a week. I'm like, you know, is there not a more remarkable time to actually share with somebody's life? And I remember thinking, you know, I tried to talk to him, and I thought, man, I'm not praying enough for him. So I went home that morning, I was praying, started praying for him regularly. Wouldn't you know it the first time? After I come back, after praying for him consistently, he actually goes, hey, man, I ran into your videos, and I started watching them. Fascinating, you know? And, I, and he goes, I'm going to call you Reverend now. <laughs> you know? And I said, really, I prefer irreverent. But that's all right. You know, that's my... <laughs> it's more accurate, I think. But, you know, but it you know, opens up, and you know, suddenly, you know, he's talking about this, but then it comes out, he had three uncles who were sexually abused, you know, in the clergy abuse scandal. And that was in his mind, you better believe it, at every one of those conversations. You know, and so there's this idea that you really, you know, what is, what's actually happening there is not what's always happening there. You know, and there's a sense of you're faithful, you're, you're being sensitive to, and, and, and knowing, how do I speak into this situation right now? Because everyone always comes with objections and stuff, and oftentimes you're foolish when you argue with people. You know, it, there's a difference between knowing how to give a defense for your, you know, your faith and knowing when we're arguing pointlessly here. And that's not really what's going on. I mean, I've found a lot of times when people are saying, oh, how can you believe in God? And if it's a real conversation and they're actually curious about it, you can answer it back in one sentence. Really, look at all this, look at all this uh, nature. You don't imagine there's something that made this. And they go, usually, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, when, I mean, it's amazing how much the simplest little statement, you know. Um, but anyway, and, and now, like, how do you answer people, uh, you know, what happens today? I don't know if you guys find a lot, but I find a lot these days. They go, oh, you know, you believe in Jesus. Oh, so you're for Trump. Are you, are you, it's, are you hate homosexuality or something like that? And I'm always like, you know, it's actually following Jesus is not about that. You know, I encourage you to change the conversation over here. That's, you know. Jesus, you know, and you know, so read the Gospels. I think you will not find Trump mentioned there at all. Um, I'm guessing, guessing. Um, but, you know, might be, maybe you got a weird translation. Uh, I don't know. But, you know, you're just kind of pulling attention to another place. But that's part of that season. So I'm not going to argue with this. That's not, that's not, I'm arguing, you know, that's a conversation way down the line. But, um, but anyway, we want to be people who are these folks making the most of every opportunity. You know, people whom are full of grace out in the world, encountering people, praying for the gospel to go forth. That's what we're supposed to do as believers. And so as a church, we talk about our mission statement. This is one of our ideas. We want to be inviting our neighbors to follow Jesus with us. And I like the phrase. We, we battled around with these phrases. 
But we really came down to this idea that it's not something we're telling other people to do. It's something we're inviting them to do with us. Come alongside and, and, and know this, which I, I, I love that. So we said, what does this actually look like? And so we started to build some goals around this as to what this would look like in our midst. And we said, well, everyone should feel comfortable and equipped and encouraged to share their faith with others. That should be just a normal thing for all of us. We, should, we want to see new people uh, come to know Jesus and grow deeper in their commitment to him. We just want to be seeing this. We want to have a positive presence in our community among our neighbors. We want to be welcoming and accessible to visitors. Really see new faces join us in worship. It's part of what we talked about, uh, the worship, you know. How do we, anyone who walks in this door should feel God's pleasure that they've come. Not because we want them to join our church, but because they've come to worship him and our attitude towards that people should be reflective of, man, I know God is so glad that you're here. You know, he, and that should, be, that should be natural pouring out. It should be easy to figure out how to get connected to people. You know, it's funny, when you find people who stayed in our church, it's usually because someone very quickly, someone engaged them in conversation when they came and someone invited them to a meal. They very quickly got into a community group and felt really connected, and that's when they stayed. And, but those are all ways in which you're just helping people come to know Jesus, really. We want to be a, a community like that. And everyone should, like I said, everyone should feel comfortable, equipped, and encouraged in their, to share their faith. And comfortable is a big one, right? Um, that, isn't that like the most common thing? Or if, are you someone who doesn't feel comfortable sharing your faith? You're not alone. <laughs> you know, it's just me. No, it's not, you know. It's everybody. It, I love when I was reading the other day, I was just reading Jeremiah again, and Jeremiah did not feel comfortable sharing his faith. You know, know, God says, you're going to be my prophet. And he's like, new. Ezekiel's the same way. Yeah, I don't know how to talk to these people. I'm young. I can't speak. I don't know what to say. And basically, God's point is, it's not about you. It's going to be my words to them. And that's one of the key things in sharing your faith. You realize that it's not about you, right? It's God working in them. You're just a vessel. And again, this is like the prayer thing. Why does God use us? But so he chooses to, you know? Um, but God, and, and there was, there, when they receive it, it's not because you were so loving and so clever. And when they reject it, it's not because there was something so wrong with what you did. You know, in some ways, you've got to step out of the equation and accept that you're a vessel from God in those situations. You know, that God's doing his work through you. And we want you to feel comfortable with that. And actually, the whole, realize the mission thing fits together, right? Because if you're actively engaged with God, if you're actively engaged with the scriptures, if you are part of this caring community of disciples of Jesus, inviting your neighbors to follow Jesus with you is much more natural. It pours out of that. You know, so they all really work together. Um, and the idea of being equipped, I mean, I think in a couple of weeks, uh, I think Marie and, Dan and Andrew are leading another thing after services, talking about, we want people to feel comfortable and equipped and to be able to talk about it. Sometimes just talking about your situations with others and what you've said and what I've said is some of the you know, best things, uh, easiest way to get equipped. And, uh, and actually, the outreach ministry just met, and in our prayer calendar that's coming up, I'll just show you what their prayer request was. They said the praying for creativity and Holy Spirit-led ideas as the team develops effective ways for all of us to reach our neighbors, invite them to follow Jesus with us. And it goes specifically for some different opportunities we got coming up. You know, Newton serves. You know, we're going to go out there and try to serve the city of Newton and go in little teams and areas. We'll be praying for that. Um, 
a Marathon Monday outreach. You know, do we, I think the idea is to get a table out there as people are going by the marathon and, and you know, uh, reaching to the people who are coming there, having another brewing on belief. People like beer, so. <laughs> I think the idea of going to microbrewery, I think, this time, which sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, but we'll see on that. But we'll, we'll get another date on that. But the idea is we want people to have opportunities for you to do that. But I'll just close with this. Um, you know, I, when I think about the two reasons I was chewing on this, why people feel um, difficult uh, to share, I think there's two big ones. One, they just don't feel comfortable. We've kind of talked about that. But I think the second one is I don't think people really believe how open people really are. You know, if you really believe they were interested in open, I think you'd do a lot more. You'd share a lot more. You know, something people are really interested. It's funny, not so long ago, I did a, uh, I was part of an, anal- you know, doing analysis of a data, you know, it was a bunch of data they collected on spirituality at different age groups. And it was interesting, the big, um, there is, the baby booners have <laughs> very little spiritual interest. That is true. You know, it's amazing it went down. But man, the ones before the baby booners, older than that, a lot of interest, a lot of interest in Gen X, a lot of interest in millennials. It's more like going like this. So there's enormous interest. Baby boomers are like this, like, I don't know what happened to them. They just, like, fell apart, you know. I think, I think it wrapped up in, the, in their lives and their business, you know. But, it, it, but pe- the openness of people was remarkable. And people are interested. I, and, 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 I don't watch much TV, but did you guys notice right now there's actually five different shows that are themed on God and heaven and stuff like that? This is all happening right now. You know, and most of these are totally blasphemous. Um, <clears throat> you know, well, God friend of me isn't that bad. But like, you know, miracle workers, God is like a guy who's just sick of the, you know, he comes out like in a bathrobe. And he's, uh, you know, ah, he's tired of earth and all these people like that. And he had one, I think one show he's trying to um, get at Bill Maurer, the famous atheist, and take away his manhood, you know. I mean, just ridiculous, you know. I mean, I was watching Zach just, I don't know what people are thinking about, how they're talking about it. But, you know, people don't mock that which they're not thinking about. You know, thou, what is the Shakespeare line? You protest too much. You know, what, why are you getting at all these things? Why do you want to make fun perpetually of this idea of God and heaven and like that if you're not thinking about it at all? And actually, the Time magazine did an article saying, this is incredible, all these different shows we have on this subject right now. And what they said is... Um, she believed it's comforting even to imagine divine justice. These shows aren't necessarily pure escapism, though. At their best, each one is a challenge to live as though some heavenly arbiter is watching. So even in the midst of all the mocking and all the making fun of, there's this sense that they want to know that someone's actually watching, that someone sees this crazy world we're going in, that someone's going to have to answer for this. And you realize that we as believers, we, we have words to go forth. We, people are curious. You know, I can't, I'm always amazed at how open people are. But now it's so, people are so scared to even talk about these issues that they don't even know who to talk to about it. But they can talk to you about it, and it's okay. You know, I remember, uh, I, I think we told a story last year even, that someone came by for uh, our house to get a, um, buying a bed on Craigslist. And Nikki started talking about spiritual things. And then the guy suddenly starts bringing up how these conversations he had with his soccer dad three years before out on the soccer field. Now, it did turn out that happened to be me, which was an interesting bit of, you know, wow. He get, then comes to our house again. But the part of the story, which I think is remarkable, is in three years, nobody had talked to him. 
Here was a guy who wanted to have conversations out on that soccer field and was willing and wanted to have conversations in that house while he was buying a bed. And no one had engaged him in that entire block of time. <laughs> believe people are hungering. If you believe you're full of grace, you realize people need grace. They hunger for grace. They hunger for God. They, they hunger for forgiveness. They hunger for meaning. We can offer that. So that's what we want to be about as a church, inviting our neighbors to follow Jesus with us. As we come to this table this morning, essentially this table is a table of invitation, isn't it? It's a table where we invite people to come to experience Jesus, experience his forgiveness, experience his presence, to know his love. Here we meet with them. Here we find strength and hope. And then it's from here we go forth into the world. This is the table of God's promise, of God's presence, and of God's grace. Let's take a moment in quiet and just prepare our hearts. If that's through confession, if that's through seeking, prepare your hearts now. Jesus said, Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. On the night before he died, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, given, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord of all, God of grace, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that this bread we break and this cup we bless may truly be a communion with you. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Jesus, that we may truly sense his presence and unite us now with one another, that we may truly be one. As this bread is Jesus' one body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. These are the gifts of God for the people of God.